Welcome to another edition of Len's Burning Bush. I am Len Harvey. Before I bring on my guest for the week, I want to talk about what's really burning my bush this week. With all the craziness going on in the world right now, and we're watching it on TV, you would think some of these billionaire owners and millionaire baseball players would actually watch TV and say, all we want to do is play baseball. It's so irrelevant. But baseball, right? And and they're sitting there arguing whether or not they are going to get back to work to play, again, baseball. I mean, such a simple thing. Not first world problems by any stretch. There's so much more important things in the world. But it'd be nice if we had this kind of to watch a little baseball. There's nothing wrong with that. After so many years, we had the pandemic, and now we've got a war going on. Just can they just play baseball? I mean, does anybody remember the season ending earlier in 1994? We had no postseason, and then it's, it took baseball forever. I mean, we had the steroid um, thing with Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa in 98. We didn't care. We liked it. It was good. It was a home run chase, and everybody got back to baseball. You know, it's just amazing on it. The home run chase brought us back to baseball, and now they want to just kill it again. Um, they announced the postponement of spring training games through uh, March the 5th, but then as the negotiations kept going, now they're saying – that they're not going to play at least until March the 8th at the earliest. And since they're so good at deadlines, Major League Baseball has set Monday, the 28th of February, as a date to maybe, you know, where they can miss games or not miss games. I mean, getting to a point now where an MLB spokesman told reporters, miss games are miss games and salary will not be paid for those games. And several people took to social media to criticize this on MLB and it said let's get this straight Cardinals pitcher Jack Flaherty said on Twitter we are currently being locked out they did not meet us for a month once the lockouts instituted now we're being threatened that games will be missed if we don't make a deal by Monday so what is this really all about right what what are we arguing over as of late Friday afternoon a gulf remained between the sides on, on on core economic issues, including the competitive balance tax, the pre-arbitration bonus pool, minimum salaries, yada, yada. Just give me a break here. Um, You know, it's getting to the point where we really need to play baseball and stop this nonsense because at the end of the day, we might not see baseball anymore. Now, Doug Glanville, who used to play baseball and was involved with the last lockout, said Resolve is going to be tested. There are players that have had their entire careers without a labor stoppage So it's natural for the owners to go, hmm, how tough are these guys? They haven't really gone through this, and they'd never miss paychecks. So, again, we've had a pandemic. We have a war going on. All we want you to do is play baseball. We're not asking for for too much. Can't we at least work this out? Now, what will the lockout mean for the season? We don't know, but what will the lockout mean for baseball? Could this really be the end of what used to be America's pastime, or is the word past kind of the big key word in this past time now if we don't let the if we let the side two sides do nothing we may need an intervention uh like what happened back in 1995 where the owners plan to open the 1995 season with replacement players but before that can happen a future supreme court justice sonia sonia sotomayor uh then federal uh, judge in the southern district of new york issued an injunction against major league baseball ending the strike Now, let me just get this straight. I love baseball. I am a huge baseball fan. But if there is no season, like everyone else, we will find something else to watch, something else to do. 
and that just makes me crazy, and we have to wait until football season comes back in August. With that being said, it's time to bring on my guest for the week. He is a longtime broadcaster. He's been around the business for a little bit, uh, radio host from the great state of New Jersey. We've worked together. It's been a very, very long time. Let's welcome David Delgadio uh, to Lens Burning Bush, and let me get you up on the, the screen here. Um, I'm going to add you to the stream, and uh, as we do the, the YouTube thing, along with everything else. But, uh, Del, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to see you. I think we worked together in the early 90s. Yeah. So it's been almost 30 years. Oh, I know. It's crazy where we worked together. But before we get to that, I just want to get your take on this whole, you know, we've got a war going on. We've had a pandemic, and these guys can't figure out how to split billions of dollars. Well, it's greed, number one. Um, the the scary part about baseball is that the core ages of the baseball fans are are going up. It's fifty and older. That's what you see in the stands. That's scary because when that generation goes away, you're alienating the twenties and the thirties and the forty year olds. So the twenty year olds maybe they care about baseball, but they also care about maybe gambling on baseball. So the core people, our ages, older than us. They care about the, the, the sanctity of the game. And the word pastime is a very important part because if you want to watch CNN or Fox or whatever your side is on to watch the war, baseball is an outlet. It's an outlet. And I'm a huge baseball fan. Yeah. And you were talking before about 1994. You know, everyone knows Buck Showalter was the coach of the Yankees. Yankees were great that year. And Buck never got to the World Series with the Yankees because Torrey took his spot. So it could happen. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's going to be 11th hour. I think it's going to, you know, they're going to figure it out because they're ruining the game, especially for us who care about the game. So just to give you kind of a, a just, I love, I love the game. Okay. I brought my son. Okay. 21 years old. We went to just this summer Yankee stadium. And then we went to city field. Right. And there's nothing better than being with your son or being with just sitting in a ballpark watching a baseball game with a beer, a hot dog. You know, it used to be baseball, hot dog, apple pie, remember, and Chevrolet. But yes. I, I really believe, you know, that, that's going to be gone. I mean, football in, is, is not the same in the stands as baseball is, uh, maybe because of the weather. It's a little bit different. But I just think that when you're at a, a, a baseball game, in, you know, you're sitting – you can have conversation. The game is there. You could look at the strategy. Everybody says it's too slow. I don't agree with that. I, I still I love it, um, and it, it is an outlet. We need an outlet, and 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 again, we're going to find something else to do. Right? Football, football. You, you know, the USFL, which is coming back in uh, in April, has eight teams. One of them is the New Jersey Generals. Remember Herschel Walker? Yeah, I love it. They're all going to play in one building in Alabama. So if that's supposed to take our mind off of baseball, uh, you know, and a year from then is going to be the XFL, which remember, he hate me. Yeah. <laughs> if you remember that. Okay. So that's what the NFL, the NFL tries every year to go from the Super Bowl to the combine to the draft and now to XFL and USFL, just not going to cut it. No, it's not, and and but I always like to say football is an, is just the marketing machine. They try to keep it in, in these guys on ESPN and everybody. All they're doing is just talking about football every minute 
of every single day as soon as, you know, the season's over. They're talking about who's going where, and they're talking through this, and where's Aaron Rodgers going, and all these things. And I'll get to – got a couple of things we could talk about with football today. But I just, I just hope that, you know, maybe by the time this episode, you know, we, we're, we're, we're airing it now, but, you know, within the next weekend uh, or Monday uh, date, hopefully it'll be a – a thing of the past, and and uh, it will uh, that we'll have baseball by uh, by the end of the week, and and that would that's that's really what we're looking for. I mean, just to have baseball back. Yeah, getting knocking baseball out from March thirty first to April eighth just to satisfy a bunch of hotheads would be a shame. Yeah. Let's start it on March thirty first. Yeah, no, agreed. I, I think you you've got to. Spring training is awesome. I mean, you know, people are out there. Florida, it's it, it's such a nice thing to be able to go. The weather's getting nicer now, and everybody wants to get out there. And let's face it, you know, we live in places where the winter stinks, and you know, you're just out there. Right. You, you just look forward to. It. It's like something positive to look forward to. God forbid. So, I want to bring people up to speed. Uh, you and I work together at, at really a. Uh, an organization where where people before the internet, you know, think about how you used to get your sports scores and how you used to get your information. We work for a company, a nine seven six number uh, that you would we would announce the the, the updates uh, sports line in New Jersey, and um, it was a great place to work, a fantastic experience, and and on the cutting edge because during this time came up with a, a nine hundred number for scores live, which got live updates of every NFL game when it was happening, right? Why don't you talk about that? Well, in 1987, I went to the Connecticut School of Broadcasting, and I uh, was hanging out with somebody, and he said to me, you're a big horse racing fan, so we have the Meadowlands right in our backyard. And he said, why don't you come and uh, – I was on WFMV in Blairstown doing my you know, early morning 6.50 an hour job on radio where he says, why don't you go and try out for the um, 976 programs in Newark? And I lived in North Arlington, which is five minutes from Newark. And uh, I was I was a racing fan, so I, I knew the, the actual program before. So I got the job. I got a part-time job there, and I said, I really want to be in radio. I want to be on K-Rock. I want to be a rock DJ. And in the second week, I had 60 hours, and I had to quit my job. So three years later... I became general manager in the early 90s when you came on. Yep. And basically what it was was people dialed in to get lottery, weather, uh, sports scores, Meadowlands racing results, horoscopes, and dial a Santa. And we were doing a million calls a day in the late 80s, early 90s. And um, you came aboard when we did a thing called Scores Live. So Scores Live was a 900 phone. So if anybody is old enough to remember the party lines, you know, for dating and for whatever – this was a 50, uh, 50 people could listen at the same time. They all could talk at the same time. So I would sit at a table with 25, 30 screens in front of me. And for 99 cents a minute, I would do multiple play-by-plays, which is technically what Scott Hansen does on the uh, Red Zone. Yeah. So we would do forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 an afternoon. That's the profits we would make on just – because no one had a way of getting scores. I mean, the cell phones didn't really come through until the mid two thousands, and uh, we were still doing. And it was a, it was thirteen cents a call, so it really didn't kill anybody. So what I can tell anybody who's old enough is most of the calls came from hospitals and offices, where you know you get the hard thirteen cent call. We would get about a penny per call, and Verizon would get the rest. 
So that's how that's what I did from 1987 till it ended in 2013. And you were part of it for about three or four years in the early 90s, correct? Yeah, I, I did. And I loved it. I would work overnights uh, sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that was always a great, a great shift. Um, I remember we had uh, at the place we, we worked, we had a dog there. You know, Delilah. Delilah was just awesome. We worked with yeah. Joe Lombardi, uh, yeah. Vince Lombardi's brother. Yeah. And we also worked with a guy named Mitch Kaufman, yeah. who was the tape. He used to tape for the Nets. Yep. So when they would, they would actually videotape and they would send the tapes across. It was in Lodi, right? Yeah, yeah, it was in Lodi. And uh, Mitch, Mitch would do the Devil Games, would do everything. And yeah, mm-hmm. I, I would see him there, and then I would see him, uh, and and they would run the tapes. And that was again before they had so much video. They, they would they would overnight video to coaches and to other stuff too. Yes. It was incredible. But I I loved the job. I was uh, Lenny L was uh, for sports. That was his. Yeah. That was him. <laughs> Lenny L for sports line. Uh, yeah. Well, our next update. We, yeah. We've actually we changed locations in the late 90s, and then we went to South Hackensack where we downsized a bit yeah. because, you know, obviously there were less calls. And what really stopped the calls was, if you remember, uh, Headline News was the right. first organization to decide that there was going to be scores on the bottom. So everyone would watch the scores instead of call us. So we started taking a hit. But lottery never took a hit because we always lottery. What I always tell people that lottery took a hit, um, never took a hit because people wanted to know the lottery results immediately. So if as long as we did our job, they would call and that would keep everybody's salary going. Yeah. And I worked there 27 years until 2013. That's fantastic. Now, the, we had some great um, people that were great talent at, at the places. I know Sports Phone in New York was was different, and they had a lot of good talent as well on the other side of the river. But we had some really good uh, talent. I remember uh, Paul and 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 Vinny and yes, yeah, and Dan Fano and Fan- Kurt. Yeah. yeah, those were those were those were guys. I don't know if they all went on to broadcasting career, but most of the people um, that came through were mostly short termers, except for like Paul and Vinny, who stayed for quite a while. Mm-hmm. But most of them would come in for three and four years. And they were some of them were young. A lot of them came out of Connecticut School of Broadcasting because what we could offer is 24 hours. So, like, if you wanted to work midnight to eight, you could work the, the, the overnight weathers. We did Newsday weathers. We did Westchester County, Sussex County, New York City, and North and South Jersey. So if you worked for us between midnight and eight, you basically worked five minutes an hour. Yeah, and, and then you brought you brought your lunch or you brought yeah. a videotape or whatever. Yeah, or was, listen to the, it, it, listen to Steve Summers. Well, it was my <laughs> favorite job, and I had just um, at the time was you know getting married, getting you know whatever. So it was the best job to just do it, uh, and it, it helped because I did some. Uh, it got me into more into radio. Um, mm-hmm. I did some you know work at W at WFDU, and I did ball games and stuff like that too. But I, I enjoyed uh, doing it, and uh, you know, it's 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 a shame that stuff like that doesn't. You know, you've got now where you can get so many things, uh, so many scores, and so many things that at any moment it, you're on your phone, and it's uh, it's so easy to do now. Well, it's quite amazing that the um, in 2008 when the um, when the housing market crashed, um, this, we changed it to 99 cents, and that was the only way we could actually maintain a salary for multiple people so in the beginning we started making a decent amount of money but by 2013 verizon flexed its muscles and says uh we're not going to bill 
anymore on the actual phone bill because you know who you know phone bills used to be a stack now that doesn't even exist anymore 800 numbers really don't even exist anymore so everything's pretty much free so in 2013 we said we locked up the doors in Lodi and um it was over but uh, I knew it was coming but 2008 to 2012 we made a decent amount of money because we elevated the price and people really didn't care about the price. There was a lot of people still calling the lottery and a lot of morning people would use the weather reports instead of going to the television or their phone. They just wanted to hear it. So I, you know, I don't know if it was a friendly voice or just programmed in your phone. And the one other thing, Verizon didn't allow it on cell phones. So that was a, that was starting to be a problem because I mean, I don't know if you have a landline at home. I know I don't. So landline was the key. If you didn't have a landline, you couldn't get billed. Verizon couldn't get make their money. Verizon made billions of dollars on this. And this was separate from the New York sports phone, where that was in Garden City, Long Island, which was completely different from ours. But we were competitive. New York could call into Jersey, but Jersey couldn't call into New York. It was so right. odd. Right. Very, very, yeah, very odd, but a, a, incredible thing. And, you know, when we were going, uh, when we were doing this, it's, it was the advent of DirecTV doing the Sunday ticket, which started, and you talked about Red Zone. But finally, uh, DirecTV, this is, I think they started, I want to say 96 maybe, uh, yeah, was when uh, DirecTV started, 95, 96. Cause, yeah, yes. Yeah. That's when the live, the live score phone was active in 95 to to heavily into 99. Right. Like really a lot of incredible, we would do college basketball. To, we would do Hawaii college basketball to four in the morning. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was fantastic. I remember that. And we had a great time, you know, we were all in this room and, and it was just, all you heard was people doing their reports on a Sunday afternoon. When you had to do reports, you had four different voices and it was just, that's all you heard was everybody screaming. I was well, kinda, how, how about this one? How about your boss telling you not to gamble? <laughs> and now look where we are now. Oh, I know. Gambling. Everything is, is about gambling. So apparently Apple and Amazon are reportedly now the front runners to get the Sunday ticket now for 2023. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I saw that. I saw that with the uh, Rams coach. He, he didn't, he declined a contract with Amazon yeah. to stay, stay with them. Yeah. I, I figured direct TV would eventually would be gone. Yeah. Cause I think, well, they're owned by AT&T now. And I guess, you know, it's not as big of a, a deal. I, I, I hope that if they do, uh, you know, with Amazon and Apple, that they make it into more of uh, where you could get your team maybe, or, you know, it just seems like it, you know, to spend $300 for every single game, you know, at some point, you know, the red zone is good enough for the rest of the stuff. If you could just watch your team, that would be, would be good. Yeah, I, 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 it's amazing that it's lasted so long in that way through direct TV. Like if you want, I'm a Dolphins fan. Yeah. So if I'm going to watch the Dolphins, I can watch it against the Jets or if it's on national TV and our team stinks pretty much. Yeah. So <laughs> so I don't really see it that often, but I watch the Red Zone and, you know, I still watch the games and so forth. But I'm not as deeply into it as I was when I worked for, for Sports Phone. Yeah, and, and I'm kind of the same way. It's kind of weird. You take, you know, I guess we fill the time with other things, obviously, family and children will will mm-hmm. do that. You're coaching. I, I've noticed you've coached baseball like I did kind of the 25 same. years. Yeah. I just retired. Yeah. yeah, I retired after 15. So you, you beat me by 10 years. Uh, I got uh, I was like, you know, it was actually, kids it was, got older. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of what happened. It was after a certain point. You know, what was the most fun time, though? I will say this because I coached my kid and I'm sure you did as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. my son played till he was um 
think it was like 16 or 17, but I, at, at one of the years I just said, you know what, I'm done. Because the parents drive you nuts, right? I mean, it's, it's just a – so I believe, I want to say, he was 15 and he was playing on another team. And I was sitting in the stands in a lawn chair, just kind of sitting on the sides. And I said, that was the most fun time. I actually got to enjoy watching him play in the game. Yes. I'm like, what did, it was, it, it had me so bitter after a while. I, it, it was, it was rewarding at some point, but it was, it also had me very bitter. And then once I was able to sit and watch the game, it was like the best experience ever. Somebody else was handling it. Well, some, some parents really cause your stress that doesn't really belong as a coach because you tried to play everybody. You tried yeah. to be fair, but you're also trying to win. Of course. Especially if you're coaching travel teams. Yeah. If you're coaching a travel team and a, and a child isn't that good, it's tough on the parent because, you know, there's money involved and whatever. But, you know, that's part of the reason. My kid was – he played till he was 15. My older one played till he was about – 18. So I coached all the way through travel through we're in Belleville now. So that's where we were from. Um, but mostly the parents is part of the problem, especially the ones where that don't understand. And, and that, that causes stress for a coach, but I had a great time coaching for 25 yeah. years. And, and like you're, you're a purist. So <laughs> baseball is my purist. Yeah, no. And, and I think I enjoyed, I remember, you know, having meetings at the mound on opening day. Mm-hmm. And sitting there, it was a gorgeous afternoon. It was like probably 55, 60 degrees and you're outside and, you know, it's April and you're, you know, getting excited. And I said, I took everybody I, right before the first pitch, I grabbed everybody in in a meeting and I said, just take, suck this in. I said, because right. look you around. will, you look around. I said, you, I know you're 10. You might not think about this. It might not be such a big deal. But for me, this is a big deal because I am just loving that I miss it so much because mm-hmm. when you get older, this is not, you don't have the fun that no. you have. Now I wanted to ask you one thing as a coach, and this is something that I've had conversations with people about. And one of the things I've, I have suggested is that there is so much structure for these kids today where they're playing on these travel teams and they're playing so many coached baseball games, probably 60, 70 games a year. And it's not the amount of games that I have a problem with. I think it's the amount of structure. I used to love, I, I brought my friends on from North Bergen, and we had we played stickball. We played all kinds of things. I don't think the kids get a chance to do that, and they wind up getting burnt out uh, after a it's, while. It, it's overkill. It's um, especially, especially the higher-end players who play on multiple teams, and some of the parents lie that they don't play on other teams. And you have a kid who's 13 – 14 years old, who may have pitched himself out of high school. He may not be able to pitch in high school. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, we used to play box ball yep. and stick ball and wiffle ball and and little league. And it wasn't a problem. Now, the coaches are so like, you know, do not do this. Do not do this. Do not do this. And if you're, you, you would be better off being a pitcher in high school if you probably played an infield position between the ages of eight and 14 because you didn't use your arm. Oh, I know. I think, you know, here's the thing that I did. And again, I'm not a, a doctor and I don't play one on TV, but I always felt that to me, when I was a kid, I just kind of did what I thought was right. Right. So when I pitched in little league, I would throw as many pitches as I could once a week. So right. it wasn't about a pitch count. It was, I can only pitch 
let's say I, I pitched on Saturday, then I would I would definitely um, I wouldn't pitch like until next Saturday. So mm-hmm. that was the way I was brought up, and and what I did with my kids is that I don't care if they threw you know sixty pitches or ninety pitches. That wasn't the problem. It was the stopping and starting that was the problem. So if you said, hey, the kid only threw 45 pitches on Monday, let's bring him back on Wednesday, and I didn't like that. I, I, I think that the, the, the amount of torque, regardless of how many pitches that you throw in a given game, it, it, it's just you're done for a week. I mean, you really are. And that's kind of nope. where, you know, I, 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 and I did that. that. That's a big problem. Um, and even my shoulder – throwing 25 years of practice ball without a machine has basically, you know, I've, I've got some rotator cuff stuff. That's problem. If you really want your kid to be successful in high school and you really have high aspirations for him in college, I wouldn't pitch him young. No, because of the way they pitch them though. So it it, it all depends. Like I didn't have one kid get hurt when it came to Mm -hmm. pitching, but I knew other kids on other teams that, you know, they would throw curveballs at 12 years old. And, and in, in an exhibition game, they would pitch in the morning and pitch in the afternoon. It's like, you don't, uh, you don't get it, do you? Oh, well, he only threw 20 pitches. I don't care. It doesn't, you know, I, 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 it just, it's one of well, those the, things where it drives me nuts. The coaches live through their, their children and boast to their friends about victory, which is one of the biggest problems. I, do you real? I mean, obviously, you want to win. You yeah. try to teach them team teamwork and all that kind of stuff. But it really doesn't matter if you win at the age of eleven. No, nobody's going to ever ask you on a job interview or even in a high school team how many how many championships you won at the age of eight. Right? I'll tell you. I'll tell you a quick story. Fifty seventy is the twelve year old team that I decided to take to USABL in New Jersey, and I really took the Bad News Bears to the championship. By we were the fifth seed, we beat the four, we beat the one, then we beat the two, and I won a championship with a twelve-year-old team that was had some good players, but was partially Kelly Leak and Lupus and all those guys, and and won it against Kenilworth, and then there was a fight broke out after the game. Oh, of course, and I had the same. <laughs> you know, I had a similar experience. Again, I didn't do the travel league; I coached the rec. We had right. not not hole, so I stayed mm-hmm. in not hole because my right. reaction was: if you can't figure out if you're good enough in 14 games, I don't think you need 25, 30 games. It, uh-huh. it, you I, could, I, I could tell, I could tell who could play 14. And to me, it, I always believed in: if you go to a high school practice at a freshman and they throw you the ball, you catch it and you pitch it and you hit it. They're going to pick you, okay? There's no, Absolutely. you know, there's no, uh, whether you played uh, travel ball or didn't, I don't think it really matters. They will find you if you're good enough. But I think what I liked is I played all my kids, okay, all year. And by the time the end of the season, my team was always getting better. And by the time the postseason came, we played against, it was the funniest thing, we had a kid that got cut from another team. So I brought him on. It was kind of like, um, you know, I had a lot of the, the kids that, you know, divorced parents. They, they barely brought them to the game. I had to buy them shoes. I mean, I'm you not. Picked them up. Yeah, I picked them. Yeah, exactly. I'm not. And again, I'm not a saint by any stretch. Right. I but get you. I just felt like I, I, this was my calling, right? So we had situation where I brought a kid on and he wasn't very good at the time. But I, I had a rule that, you know, I would move the kids around and I would have an Excel spreadsheet. 
and this would be like in the sixth inning that have this kid would play, and and we'd have most of the kids would play at least three innings, and they would bat all the time. Like mm-hmm. we we made sure were, that they batted right one through twelve. Yeah. yeah. So I would do that, and what happened was the kids started to get pretty good. And what I did also is you had um, a situation where kids went on vacation, and you needed those kids. So if you didn't ever play them, how do you know if they could even do it? So by the end of the season, all the kids had played. So this kid who got cut from the other team, we played um, that team in the semifinals of the knothole. Now, again, the ones and the twos would go to the city. So we were kind of like the second mm-hmm. tier, but it right. didn't matter to us. It was good enough, right? So we're playing in the semifinals against this team, and the kid gets up against his old team and gets a base hit to win the game. And the smile on his face was worth everything I had ever done just because of that. You know, I didn't care if we won anything else after that because he felt like, here's a kid who got cut. You get cut from these teams. In a wreck baseball, you get cut. and he No pressure. Yeah, and that's kind of what it, what it comes down if you, to. If you don't put pressure on any of the kids, the, the most satisfying thing as a coach is your eight, eight and nine batter scoring in a game. Yeah. Or getting on base, and you know that the one, two, and three are going to do their job. But when the eight and the nine does something, there's yeah. nothing more gratifying. Oh, and, and it was just that that was the that was what I loved. And the other uh, kind of uh, field of dreams moment for me was, and I've told this story before, but so if you've heard it, people have heard it. It's okay. We'll tell it again. But I, um, my son was eight years old, and we had just finished second place. Uh, we lost in the final. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I had the kids, you know, they were walking around with the trophy. They were, you know, it wasn't like the Bad News Bears where they threw the trophy, (laughs) where he threw the trophy. But no, they were going around. They were excited because they played great all year. Mm -hmm. And my son comes to me to the side and says, you know, it was kind of like, you want to have a catch? It was the same kind of deal. He goes, Dad, can you take a picture with me with the trophy? I was like, that was worth it. Yeah. If anything, you, you didn't have to coach another game the rest of your no, life. No, I didn't. And that was at eight years old. And then I had another couple of moments where I was so proud, like, you know, where my son struck out somebody to win a game. And I got, I went to the mound and I, I said to him, I go, I'm going to, I'm going to trust you here. You're going to, you're going to get this guy out. And I walked back to the dugout and he, and he struck the guy out and we won. And I said, I, I never had been more proud at that moment. Like, just because, amazing. yeah, you just get, you know, there's a couple of tear moments and, you know, can I ever catch that? <laughs> it's all good. I could, I could talk baseball all night, but I wanted to kind of get into, and we kind of glossed over it a little bit. Uh, you've got a show now uh, on the radio. So why don't you uh, give a little, well, little plug here? So I do a show called Mind the Gap, which is a British alternative radio show. I've been doing it for 16 years. I did it for 12 years at Montclair State. And um, it started out, it was a DJ at the Loop Lounge in, in uh, Basake, New Jersey, which is a staple of alternative music in North Jersey. And one of the bands says to me, well, why don't you come to Montclair? Our radio station doesn't have enough shows. So I wound up mentoring a ton of students from there, who some of them work at NBC, CNBC now, um, and uh, Fox and whatever. But I, I, I did 12 years at Montclair. And now I moved to FDU, where Duff hired me to go to HD2. And I spent three years on HD2. And one of the uh, DJs for Sunday night just left about four weeks ago. So I was promoted to HD1, which is 89.1. 
and it's called Mind the Gap, and it's Sundays at 10 o'clock at, at WFDU.FM. It's on HD1 or 89.1. And uh, it's basically a British alternative show which breaks bands who may be popular three or four years from now. And I play the old punk classics. Don't forget, I grew up in the late 70s, early 80s, so I have an alternative vibe to me. I, uh, I worked at Webster Hall. I worked at The World. I worked at the Melody Bar in New Brunswick. So that's another side of me. You remember when I was working, I was DJing at the Melody in New Brunswick on Saturday nights. I'd come in for the Sunday games half in the bag because I was (laughs) DJing till three in the morning. I know. But but it's a a great show. I'm going to continue to do it. I've done almost uh, 600 shows already. And but I'm but it's uh, definitely something new to be on the dial. 89.1. 89.1. Well, I again, it, it, it's so good to, to talk to you again. I want to give you props for for hiring me to do do that on, uh, you know, 89. Uh, listen to me. Uh, Sundial and to do, you know, the 976 numbers because it's all that kind of stuff that got me to today. And I, I, I you can't um, it's so great to, to reminisce about, you know, it's like uh, back in my day, I like to say. But, you know, it's it's great to kind of continue to, uh, you know, to do this. I, I I love to do this just like you do. It's a, it's a passion, the radio and the TV stuff and sports. And I could, I could go on and on about all of the stuff, but uh, I'm sure no one wants to really hear that. But thank you again for uh, giving me that shot because, you know, not everybody gets a shot. Uh, it's a pleasure. I, the, the group of guys that work there, you know, I don't know where all of them are now. I do talk to one or two of them uh, once in a while, but um you know, Facebook keeps you in touch, yeah. you know, from a distance. But, yeah, it was uh, – I always tell because VEASAN – I don't know if you know VEASAN, which is uh, the gambling network. That's just yeah. – it's a television show. They want me to come on and talk about, like, how to get scores and so forth. And I said, oh, I have many, many stories about who came through Sundial and how many times they had to run out because they were putting a 100-time reversing <laughs> in the parking lot. You, you taught me. I, I got to say, I understood how to do that, and it's kind of funny about that and make sure you understand. Now, you can like Lens Burning Bush on Facebook at Lens Burning Bush. You can follow along at Lens Burning Bush on Twitter. This is uh, The live feed is on Twitter. It's on Facebook Live, so you can see the video on YouTube as well. So make sure you like comment subscribe whatever whatever you got to do on that but you can also uh, listen and you're listening on itunes spotify google play podbean iHeartRadio. tune in you can even ask alexa to play lens burning bush but dell make sure you say lens burning bush podcast because not we, we don't know what's going to come up if you do and just to explain lens burning bush just really means what's irritating me and burning my you know crawl so that's kind of everybody thinks it's a little religious thing or there's other aspects to it has nothing to do with that so if you don't know why you're listening but uh thanks again del for coming on and uh why don't you give one more time where they could find you on sundays um Sun- sunday 10 p.m if you're not in the north jersey area you know hudson valley new york city you can go to wfdu.fm hd1 or if you're driving in your car it's 89.1 i'm on till 1 a.m eastern time and len 99 shows. I got the Gretzky show. You did. So, you got you yeah. got the Gretzky show. That's awesome. I got the, and uh, I'll take 199 if you'll if, oh. you'll, if you'll have me back. Uh, you know what? We'll have that and we could box it. We'll all be all set. <laughs> we'll be all good. Thank you, Dell. I'm Len Harvey. Thank you. We'll be back with another episode of Len's Burning Bush next week. So long.